0: Thanks for listening to FYI Salem, the podcast about what's happening in the most hip and historic city in Massachusetts. I'm Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll, and welcome to the latest episode. Be sure to check out the FYI Salem newsletter and all the latest news from the city of Salem online at www.salem.com. Hi folks, um, Mayor Kim Driscoll here. We're going to get started in just one other minute. Um, As folks are signing on, I want to welcome to the webinar the number of businesses um, and nonprofits who have joined us. We are hoping to obviously provide as much information as we can with respect to the latest Florida Health orders, as well as a snapshot of what's happening in the city right now with respect to some of our public health concerns related to COVID. Joining all of us on this panel, me in particular, is uh, Dr. David Roberts, the president of Salem Hospital, who we are gonna ask to give us a status on some of the local cases and what's happening at the hospital. Um, Dave Greenbaum, the Salem Health Director, Um, Dr. Jeremy Schiller, the Chair of the Salem Board of Health, Kate Fox, the Director of uh, Destination Salem, Kate Newhall-Smith, and Tom Daniel. Kate is our Principal Planner for Economic Development, and Tom is the Director of Planning and Community Development here in the city, and Vicki Caldwell, who is our Assistant City Solicitor, um, who's been running point on this program for us. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Most assuredly, um, the individuals who are on this panel and all of our business community for carving out some time to, uh, to learn more about both why we're uh, why we're taking these actions, how we plan to operationalize this, and really to seek your input and try and answer as many questions as we can. I want to be I want to be clear at the outset that we're really um, hopeful that these sorts of actions are going to put us in the best position possible to maximize economic opportunities in Salem, keep Salem safe, open, and strong. That's the language we've used throughout this pandemic. It really has been our community versus the virus. We view our small business um, owners as as not only partners and neighbors, friends and family, but people that we want to see succeed. And um, I know not everyone is supportive of this direction, but I hope you understand it isn't desired uh, that it's going to be punitive to you. And in fact, we really want to work hard to ensure that as we work to protect the public health, that we're also doing everything we can to support businesses. Um, We don't have tons of details on some of that uh, work to try and promote uh, the business activity heading into 2022. But I do want to share just briefly before I introduce Dr. Roberts, some of the the, sort of the buckets that we're anticipating rolling out. One is enhanced promotion and marketing. We don't want anyone to know about um, our public health requirements for the first time when they walk through your doors. We want people to be aware of it. We think there is an effort to talk about being safer in Salem as as a methodology to encourage people to come to our community. We also want to help with some additional PPE and supplies. We did that at the onset of the of the vaccines. So we are going to be procuring masks, rapid tests, and obviously things like signage to help um, businesses who uh, need some additional resources. We're also looking at some direct benefits and promotions. Members of the the planning staff are gonna be working with our local business leaders to think about how can we help incentivize um, uh, business activity coming out. January is typically a slow month here, just with the weather and sort of the post-holiday blues. So anything we can do to try and incentivize additional business activity will be helpful. That would include things like festival support, Salem So Sweet, really trying to ramp up efforts, especially for things that are outdoor activities. The ice sculpture is trying to provide support for that as we come out of this pandemic to make sure we're getting as big a bounce as we can. And then we know that um, the the talent issues in fact are impacting all of us. So earlier in this pandemic, we worked through an employment um, uh, hiring bonus we're looking at hiring and retaining bonuses as something else we'd like to try and put on the table to understand how we can be helpful. So um, with that, I, I guess I really just want folks to know, we still believe this is our community versus the virus. Um, Omicron, we're at a surge, it's, it's definitely a cause for concern, but we are optimistic about 2022, grateful for the public health efforts that we're making collectively as a community and want this to be something that um, helps our, our business community continue to grow and thrive throughout this. Um, with that, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Roberts to share with us sort of uh, what's happening at Salem Hospital and provide some uh, local updates with respect to uh, to COVID.
1: Uh, sure. Thank you, Kim. <clears throat> it sounds like I have COVID, but I don't. I just have a bad cold, in case you're wondering. So I just, I just will give you the stats on our hospital. So at the current time, 98% of our medical surgical beds are occupied of our ICU beds are occupied. 35 of our beds are blocked because we have no staff um, to manage that. So our capacity is reduced because uh, our staffing is way down. Our staffing is way down, multifactorial. Many of you know about the great resignation. Uh, Many of our nurses have chosen to travel because they get paid more money. And now we're seeing uh, loss of our staff to COVID, which is happening in the hospital, the same way it's happening everywhere else. We currently have 71 COVID positive patients in the hospital. That's a tripling over about four, three to four weeks ago. We have 11 uh, COVID patients in our ICU. Eight of them are intubated, and all eight are unvaccinated. Um, we are, as we said, we have a high number of our uh, staff going out with COVID, and we started out. Uh, before this Omicron wave with uh, unprecedented patient volume which we all attributed to delayed care so our hospital was full every every hospital in the state was full of patients prior to the COVID wave so the difference between this wave and the prior waves is in the prior waves the hospitals kind of emptied out of non-COVID so we had staff to take care of those folks This wave is more difficult because we started out with all the beds filled with non-COVID patients. We started out with staffing challenges before, and now we're seeing a wave of COVID cases and a loss of staff from COVID. So it is sort of the perfect storm of creating demand with the inability to meet it. So that's sort of where we are at the moment. Um, This uh, COVID increase is a little frightening to us because... As the cases go up, our staff go down. Um, There is no cavalry in the sense of uh, we have traveling providers in our hospital, but we have requests out for 80 additional providers from traveling agency, but they don't have anybody to send us because the whole country is in the same boat we're in. So that's, you know, I don't mean to, it's not, we're not at a panic point, but we are, We don't really know what we're going to do if the volume of COVID patients continues to escalate at the rate that it's going because we're not going to have staff. The other thing that I I would say is the other crisis here is if you come into the hospital with a heart attack, we don't have a bed for you right now. And we don't have the staff to take care of you right now. So one of the you know, my pleas, and I'll stop talking, is anything we can do to decrease the likelihood that a patient will come to our hospital with COVID, that leaves one more bed free that I can take care of a patient with a stroke or a heart attack. So anything that the city could do to decrease the likelihood that a patient will end up in the hospital with COVID might save a life of someone else who needs acute emergency care. Uh, thank you, Mayor.
0: Yeah, thanks, Dr. Roberts. I think that uh, last statement you just made is at the heart of this. Uh, most recent Board of Health order, which was trying to make sure that as we're reopening, we want people to be in Salem and enjoying themselves, that we're doing so in as safe a setting as possible. And we know that if folks are unvaccinated, they we can all transmit the virus, but they certainly can become more severely ill and end up in one of those hard to find hospital beds. Um, I'm wondering if you could just speak to one more thing, and that would be the longevity of what we think the Omicron surge is going to be. You know, we're hearing it's a mid-January expectation, no guarantees on that, but um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that before we um, ask Dave
1: for you. You know, I I think six to eight weeks, you know, beginning of February, you you know, beginning of March, I think we'll be out of it. So I'm looking at January and most of February. You know, as you know, there's this predictable, you get infected, it takes days to get symptomatic. And then if you're going to get sick enough to be hospitalized, that takes some more time. So there's, you know, there's two to three weeks from the time you get exposed that if you're an unvaccinated patient and you're like and you're going to end up really sick, it may be three weeks. So when the spreading stops, there's a delay of three weeks before the hospitalization rates start to fall off. So I'm looking at and I think probably early March.
0: Thank you. Um, We're going to ask Dave Greenbaum to run through what um, the Board of Health voted on uh, earlier in the, I guess, at the end of last year uh, to try and provide information. We have a number of questions that have already been fielded, but if you do have questions relative to the order, how it's going to be implemented, you can use the Q&A on the the chat at the bottom of the Zoom. Um, There is a way for you to type in um, questions. We'll be trying to monitor that, and we have a slew of them that people have already sent in that we'll also try and get through. Dave?
2: Yeah, so um, as you are all aware, probably the board did vote to institute a a new mask mandate effective um, December 22nd. uh, That's for all indoor public and private spaces in the city, um, and that went into effect immediately. Uh, They also did vote the vaccine, proof of vaccine requirement that uh, on January 15th, folks that enter certain businesses, including but not limited to restaurants, museums, um, fitness centers, gyms, other you know, um, attractions and event venues are required to show proof of vaccine of at least one vaccination by January 15th. And then phase two kicks in. Um, honestly, off the top of my head, I don't know the exact date. It's probably, you know, but th- it's, it's phased in. So you have to do it, you know, shows proof of vaccination for 12 plus uh, in phase two. And then in phase three, everybody has to be able to show proof of vaccination. Um, so, you know, that's the, the gist of what the board voted on. Um, I don't know if Dr. Schiller has anything to add to that, but, um, you know, we'll certainly answer questions as they come in.
0: I want to thank Dr. Schiller for joining us. He's the chair of the Board of Health and also has an afternoon full of responsibilities. But, Dr. Schiller, is there anything else you'd like to add with respect to um, the, the what or the why?
3: No, I think I think that uh, I think what Dr. Robert said and what Dave Greenbaum said are exactly right. I mean, I'm, we're seeing the same situation here at Mount Auburn Hospital in Cambridge and throughout Boston. So it's not what he how he described it is exactly what we're seeing here. Um, and what what has been dramatic has been since we the Board of Health met and put these orders in place, the significant increase. It's almost prescient in, as far as what we're actually seeing come out to play, I was in the ER last night and it's loaded with COVID patients on top of what we already described. So we really are in a little bit of a crisis mode in the hospital, let alone within the city. So thank you. Thank you for uh, summarizing that Dave, that was perfect.
0: All right, so maybe we can head right into Q&A and we've got a whole slew of folks here to try and make sure we're able to answer uh, questions as they arise. And as I said, we've got some that came in earlier And we'll toggle between um, the Q&A and the chat live and some that came in earlier. Can we clarify retail? We have a number of questions from retail operators wanting to better understand what their requirements are. And retail would be obviously large shops like Target to smaller shops like Moody's.
2: So retail uh, is not encompassed in the order. Um, I'd be happy if retailers would like to do that on their own, but they are not encompassed in the order, in particular the larger venues Home Depot, the grocery stores and things like that. Um, it's very difficult to you know, to regulate that in a, in a grocery store. Um, and you know, I think the intent is that we look at places where people tend to gather in large groups without masks um, and those fall into the categories like restaurants, bars, nightclubs and so forth.
0: Great. How about hotels? We've got a question about our hotels incorporated into this.
2: So hotels in and of themselves are not, so if a guest is coming in to check in, um, they don't have to show proof of vaccination, but if they're going to eat or dine in a restaurant within the hotel, then they would have to show proof of vaccination to eat or uh, go into the, the bar or the, the restaurant within the, ho- the hotel itself.
0: A couple of questions about whether the orders apply to employees within uh, within the establishments required to have a vaccine for entry.
2: They do. The order replies to any all uh, employees and customers entering the premises of the covered establishments. Um,
0: could you just maybe outline the expectation for what that will look like, Dave? We've talked a little bit about this uh, during the Board of Health meeting as well. Um, what's the expectation for people with respect to checking vaccines?
2: So I, I think that, that some of this is still being worked out, but I think on a... Um, You know, a basic level we're looking at, you know, when somebody comes to go into the establishment that's covered by the order, uh, somebody greets them at the door and says, okay, we need to see your proof of of vaccination. That can be the actual vaccination card. That can be a digital image on your phone. um, And all they have to do is confirm that they've been vaccinated. um, And then they can allow the person to go ahead in. Um, I understand that if the person's not vaccinated, it may be a little tense, but that person should be denied entry into these uh, establishments that are covered under the order. Um, and my understanding is the goal is to make it sort
0: of a low bar. It can be a picture of the, the vaccine card. Massachusetts is expected to roll out an app to make it a little bit easier for individuals to have their vaccine information stored and perhaps easier for businesses to just have a scan, uh, a, a way to scan that really quickly. Um, but our goal would be whatever you have, the actual card, a picture. Is that, is that right, Dave? And at, at the sure. door or when you sit down, you know, we're open
2: to those. Yes, correct. I think it's the first point of contact with an employee in the covered establishments that that they ask to see the proof of vaccination. And it can be a picture, it can be the actual card, um, you know, however the business um, feels is best. But, you know, we'd like to see some sort of proof that, you know, they're, they're actually vaccinated, a, a copy of the of the vaccination card or something that they're carrying with them for other purposes to show, you know, Picture is always the easiest. Everybody has a, a smartphone, and they can take a picture of it. I think that's probably the easiest way to do it.
0: And As in the past, when we offered guidance about what to do at a doorway, if you're in, you know, dealing with someone who may uh, express concern or verbal abuse with regard to not entering, I think we've given guidance in the past that, um, you know, to, to try and de- how um, how to de-escalate situations like that, um, and when it might be necessary to involve, you know, calling the police. Anything more
2: you yeah, want to add? Um, no, I think the police department has offered de-escalation trainings and, and con- had conversations with businesses around that in the past. And if people have issues or want more information, they can certainly reach out to us and we can put them in touch with the right people at the police department. Great. Right.
0: Um, can you talk a little bit about religious or medical exemptions? Um, yep.
2: So if a customer or an employee can show that they have a qualified um, religious or medical exemption, then it's up to the business to determine if they want to grant that exemption. Um, I would highly recommend that they consult with their legal counsel to determine, you know, what their responsibilities are um, as far as granting that. But uh, there are, there is the ability to grant a, a medical or a, a religious exemption. Um, but you know, that's it's up to the business to determine if that exemption that they're granting is warranted.
0: Vicki, do you want to say anything else about that with respect to as our, you know, as our labor leader on this issue? Sure.
4: Um, I, would, I would echo what Dave said. And I think individual businesses you know, shouldn't take this as legal advice, but you know, consult with their own attorneys. But we as a city, you know, are, are, uh, you know, we are rolling out our own program with respect to employees. And we do have an exemption form that uh, you know, I'd be happy to share with anyone who wanted to take a look at that. Um, for religious or medical exemption, um, and um, you know, and it is up to the employer to determine whether, if they grant the accommodation, that it is a reasonable accommodation uh, for their um, for their business with respect to their other employees and the public at large. So, um, uh, slightly different requirement for a private employer versus a public employer like the city. But, uh, but I do have an exemption form that, if people are interested, they can take a look at and see if uh, it will work for them or
0: not. Great. And there's a question about Would will testing be allowed in place of the vaccine requirement? Dave, do you want to answer that?
2: Um, I'll give my interpretation of it. And then if if he wants to weigh in, Um, we did not include a a testing option in the the requirement. The requirement is for vaccination and proof of vaccination. um, And there is no option to test and, you know, test and stay or test at work and things like that.
0: There are a couple of questions around what is included uh, in entertainment and there's a maybe I confuse folks by saying does retail include movies, I don't believe retail includes movies movies may be entertainment, though, maybe Dave you could just speak to that.
2: Yep, the order for vaccine proof of vaccine does encompass uh, theaters and entertainment venues, so they are covered in this order. um.
0: Dr. Roberts if you're still on there's a question for you about the covid symptoms you're seeing now are they any different than in the previous waves and if you yeah you're still here yeah so
1: um a couple things um you have to distinguish immediately between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated so in the vaccinated population the symptoms are more subtle than they were in the first wave. For obvious reasons, the virus is entering an environment that's highly immunized so that the severity is predictably to be less. So the breakthrough infections, that's to call them that, are generally quite mild. There's a high frequency of asymptomatic uh, breakthrough infections, people just checking, and turns out they're positive, little sore throat, a little muscle aches. They're not even thinking they're very sick. They just get a test and boom, they're positive. So in the vaccinated and especially the boosted population, the symptoms are much more mild than they were in the first wave. Not so in the unvaccinated. The symptoms in the unvaccinated are again, the virus is entering a immune system that has not been revved up by uh, prior vaccination. And so the symptoms uh, are very similar to the first wave in the unvaccinated.
0: Thanks, Dr. Roberts. Dave, a question about personal care establishments, hair salons and the like, are they incorporated, are they included into the um, into the requirements for vaccines?
2: So uh, after some discussion and some um, little bit of confusion, I guess we determined that they are not covered in the, in the requirement to sh- show proof of vaccination. Um, again, it's really those areas and places where groups tend to gather, in uh, large uh, amounts of people unx'm unvacc- uh, not unvaccinated, I'm sorry, un- unmasking and things like that, that uh, uh, we're trying to cover here. So these, uh, these, those places, the close personal services are not covered in the order at this time.
0: Um, and then there's a question here about international visitors, folks who may not have a similar vaccine card. Um, I, again, low bar, uh, we wanna make sure we're using other, if you have an Excelsior app or any of the other apps that are being, Um, that are either being designed or available. Clear, there's a bunch of apps that exist right now uh, that are not tied to any state. Can you just say more about that, Dave?
2: Yeah, I think if we have people traveling from out of, uh, you know, internationally, they they should have some proof of vaccination. Uh, Clearly, it's not going to be a CDC card because they don't get a CDC card, but um, they should be able to provide some proof of vaccination. And I think that that would, you know, satisfy the requirement. Could you also talk about events? We've got a few questions
0: around if you're holding an event um, like a graduation ceremony or a wedding, are vaccinations required for both family members, guests, others attending those sorts of activities?
2: Yep. So if it's being held in an event venue, in a quote unquote public space, you know, in a private room, in a public space, then yes, the, the uh, requirement applies to those events as well.
0: And then there's a bunch of questions, both beforehand and some in the chat around. Getting vaccinated, if you can't get vaccinated because you recently had COVID, um, and, and what's that timeline look like for um, the CDC guidelines of when vaccini- vaccinations need to be uh, within that within that time frame? How does that gel with the order?
2: So similar to most vaccinations, you don't get vaccinated if you're sick. But um, you know, early on with the COVID vaccine, there was a, a, a recommendation to wait 90 days. That recommendation has been removed. There is no requirement to wait any time period before you can get vaccinated as long as you've recovered uh, and you are uh, basically asymptomatic, fever-free for 24 hours, you know, without fever-reducing medication, then you should be able to get vaccinated at any time.
0: Okay. And then religious organizations, churches?
2: Uh, They are not covered by the proof of vaccine requirement, but they are covered uh, under the mask requirement.
0: And if you could speak to fully vaccinated, does that include a booster shot or with respect to the order, what is the expectation?
2: So with respect to the order, uh, fully vaccinated is a two dose series with uh, Moderna and Pfizer and a a single dose series with the Johnson & Johnson. It does not encompass booster shots. A question in here.
1: Can I I just comment on that, Mayor?
2: Yeah, please, of course, Dr. Uh,
1: Roberts. Yeah, that'll change. What David said is totally true today, but uh, fully vaccinated, the definition will change to three shots with Moderna and Pfizer and two with J&J within the next three to six months. We will not consider you fully vaccinated um, until you complete the full course. And and I think the word booster will go away. I think the terminology will be that Pfizer and Moderna are three shot vaccines and J&J are two shot vaccines and you won't be considered fully vaccinated until you complete the series of that vi- of that vaccine. And I don't know when that will happen, but it will happen.
0: Thanks, Dr. Roberts. Um, a couple of questions on here about um, folks who are regularly attending the same place. If you have their vaccination cards on order, do you have to ask them every time, um, especially groups that meet regularly?
2: So I would say that no, you- We, the expectation wouldn't be that if, you know, you're going into the same place many, many times, um, you know, for instance, a a fitness center or a gym, you know, they have records of their membership. They can, uh, I would recommend that they create some sort of a way to, to document that in the, you know, the client's file that they've shown their proof of vaccination. And when they check in, they can, they can look to see that they provided that, um, as long as they provided that, then I think that's sufficient.
0: Similar along those lines, um, if you're a group tour operator, can you send in proof of the vaccine to tourism partners ahead of time instead of having to sort of bunch up 40 or 50 people uh, thinking about some of the tour buses that come into town?
2: Um, I I think if they can provide proof of vaccination for the tour that they're going to be on at the date and time that they're going to be on it, then um, I I think in advance is is satisfactory. I don't know if Vicky or Dr. Schiller want to weigh in on that as well.
0: I mean, the goal is to make sure when
2: you cross that
0: threshold, everyone who's crossing has a vaccine. If, if there's a right. more orderly way to do that because you have a large group, I think we're, we'd be all for that as long as, uh, yeah. as long as it's in compliance with what the actual order is. Right. Uh, we've got a few uh, questions on here uh, relative to, again, people who cannot get the vaccine, antibody treatment, health conditions. Um, there is a medical exemption and there's a religious exemption. So that would apply if you follow if you fall into one of those categories?
2: Correct. Yes, that would apply.
0: A question about whether we'll be publishing materials for bars, restaurants, gyms as a standardized document to enable businesses to train first point of contact employees. I know we have an FAQ and we're looking to get uniform signage. Is there anything more you want to say about that, Dave?
2: Um, no, I think like you said, we're, we're looking to, to create some assistance to you know, the covered entities under this so that we can provide them with uh, resources to implement in their particular business, and I, I think that will be ongoing until the order goes into effect on January 15th.
0: We've got a question around here of what would the plan be for us to uh, assist businesses that will have to close or shutter because of this order. Um, at the top of this I did lay out that we are hoping to provide both communication, promotion, marketing, uh, some PPE. We're looking to do some direct benefit incentives as a means to try and, um, you know, mount a Salem is safer campaign. Um, but ultimately, uh, the order will still stand uh, with respect to unvaccinated uh, individuals, patrons, or employees within those specific in- industries that were outlined. And you know, look, folks, I think a lot of people are dealing with COVID right now. Uh, we've got restaurants that are closed because they don't have enough staff because Omicron's run through them. Our goal again of these orders is not to be punitive. It's really to protect our hospital from being you know, over, even more strained than it already is and to keep our kids in school and think about ways that we can come out of this pandemic stronger. So we wanna work with businesses. If you're feeling like this is having, um, this particular uh, regulation is having a del- deleterious impact on your business, please reach out so we can try and work with you to provide either resources um, or additional help and, and assistance to, uh, to limit impacts to. It is not meant to be punitive. It is meant to keep everybody safe. And we're hopeful that uh, it being in place will provide an opportunity to amplify uh, individuals coming here who are looking for an environment where they can go out to eat or enjoy uh, entertainment or movie uh, or work out in a place where they know everybody's vaccinated. Um, let me try and continue through this list. Um, there was some questions in here about what's happening with city staff. There is a requirement right now for city staff to either be vaccinated or tested twice per week. And we are in the process of working with all of our collective bargaining unions. We do have a duty to negotiate that to put in place a vaccine requirement. So the expectation is police, fire, teachers, uh, employees within city services will all be vaccinated. And that timeline, it might not be exactly aligned with the deadline here January 15th, but it'll be close. I know Vicky is working with all of our um, collective bargaining unions on that. Um, I'm gonna try and just keep us moving along. Apologies, I, I'm trying to answer the, the uh, some of those questions have already been answered. How about the measurement the board's gonna to use to lift the vaccine mandate? Maybe Dave, you could just talk about what the length of the current order is and how, or Dr. Schiller, like how we're gonna be looking at data to inform uh, practices moving forward.
2: So right now the order is in place. Um, it will be evaluated uh, in three months on the March 8th meeting of the Board of Health. Um, I think that the board will look at a number of different factors, obviously continuing case counts. Um, are we going up in cases? Are we starting to come down in cases? Um, they'll look at hospitalizations. They'll look at how many people, you know, what the status of the hospital is. Um, so I, I think there'll be a number of things that they'll be looking at, but I'll, I'll defer to Dr. Schiller to uh, I, you know,
3: add to that. Yeah, I would just add that to me. The most important metric will really be Dr. Roberts and people like Dr. Roberts and what I see at the hospital. If the hospitals are in crisis mode, it's incumbent upon the Board of Health to do what we know works. If the hospitals relax, staffing is better, COVID cases go down, and capacity increases, then I think I would be the first to say that we can, you know, relax some of this stuff that we we have done in the past. We've been dynamic with that. I mean, you know, we, you know, anticipated what would happen in Halloween and we put in measures in place and we had a very successful Halloween. And I hope the same thing would happen in the spring if, if things kind of looked that way. Um, but to me, the biggest metric really would be what's going on in the hospital. Um, we can't have a hospital that doesn't have any capacity for other issues such as heart attacks, strokes, and then, you know, COVID on top of that. That, that, that to me is not good public health. So, that would be the big criteria that I, I on the board, and I think, I think as a board, we're pretty unanimous, and that is a very important metric. So, sorry to put it on you, Dr. Roberts, but we're very reliant on good communication from you because that really guides us appropriately. The,
1: the one thing I would add, and I know this is going to be a little bit controversial, but if one of the outcomes of this uh, decision by the Board of Health, is that the vaccination rates go up dramatically among the age group that is unvaccinated. And we know who they are. If that were to happen, if the response of the citizenry was, you know what, this is a pain, I'm gonna get vaccinated, that would have the most profound effect on the hospital because we are not seeing sick vaccinated patients. So (coughs) this whole thing will end sooner if the response of the citizenry is to get vaccinated. And I am hoping that is what happens.
0: I think that's one of the driving forces that uh, was taken into consideration around this is just the rate of vaccinations among our community. Well, overall, generally, we're in the 70% range. When you disaggregate that data, our 16 to 29-year-old population is only about 50%. We were actually at 50% a few weeks back, we're up to 53%. So we're still talking about almost one out of two people between the ages of 16 and 29 are not vaccinated. And, and we know that if you're not vaccinated, you can get more severely ill and end up in the hospital. And that is a driving force. I know there's a question on here relative to you know surrounding communities. And I think there are a number of surrounding communities who are looking at this. I don't know that every, no, I would say, I know that every surrounding community is not gonna implement something like this. It certainly would be easier We would welcome the opportunity for this to be implemented regionally. But I do feel like our Board of Health and our community um, is looking at our data and thinking we need to act because everybody isn't gonna act. It's not gonna put us in a better position to do nothing. It's not that unusual. The Board of Health many years ago voted to ban smoking before it became a statewide ban. We were one of the early adopters. That was a hard decision then. I remember being concerned about it um, a year after it was put in place. Um, There were patrons that did go to other places but there were a whole heck of a lot of patrons who came to Salem because they knew they could be in a smoke-free environment. Um, We wanna do what we can to support our business community. We know we're putting something in that's different and we wanna try and make sure we're helping you as we do that. And again, it's not being put in place to, to make life harder for the business community or to be punitive. It's being put in place to not overwhelm our hospitals, to try and keep our schools open and to act knowing that we have this information before us about just how little wiggle room there is in both places. Um, So I hope people understand uh, the driving force here is is really to try and make it um, a safer environment for everyone within our community. Um, Sorry, guys, I'm trying to go through these. If you see something that I haven't answered, panelists, please let me know. Um, So in terms of a legal position to send home anybody who's unvaccinated, I mean, the requirement of the Board of Health is employees in those certain industries will need to be vaccinated. And so if they are not, they um, are not gonna be permitted to be at work under the Board of Health order. Um, Other, uh, Other questions I missed, anybody else on the panel here as I'm scrolling
5: through? Mayor, there's a question about unvaccinated employees working in a business if they're working alone without other people in the building. Was that answered? I don't think so, Dave, do you wanna weigh in on that?
2: Um, my interpretation of the order is that it applies to everybody, whether they're alone or not in the building. So, um, I don't know if, you know, Vicki or Dr. Schiller have a different opinion of that, but, um, you know, they're working in the, the establishment that's covered by the order. They should be, uh, they should be following the, the requirements of that order.
3: And
0: we've got a question here, just, uh, the fact that we're requiring this doesn't mean that Um, of individuals COVID negative. This was a question that came in beforehand. Um, That's very true. I mean, this is designed to try and make sure that if somebody does come down with COVID that they're not going to be severely impacted and end up in the hospital. It is different than what was put in place in October where we had large quantities of people coming in um, and wanted to make sure that they were negative at the time they interacted in those large groups. Um, This is really designed as a community-wide effort to ensure that as the typical things we do going about our business, that we're not contributing to potential uh, need for a hospital bed at the time when we know those resources are so constrained. There's a question here about denying refunds or charging people on uh, credit card fees if they don't bring their vaccine cards. I'm not sure what that means exactly because typically they wouldn't be in. You wouldn't be charging them for something. Maybe, Dave, you could just speak to takeout. Things like that would not be required. This is only for sit-down establishments, if that's what that Correct. was related to.
2: Correct. Yeah, so Uh, You know, going in, picking something up and walking out, I don't think people should be asking for their vaccine cards unless they want to. I mean, if they want to, that's fine. But, um, you know, the order does not cover that.
5: I think if I'm reading that question correctly, it's more about ticketed events that may be selling tickets online in advance. Um, I know New York City requires proof of vaccine to be uploaded for a lot of, if you're making a a reservation for a restaurant or buying an event ticket. Um, So if it's possible to require the proof of vaccine when you're accepting payment for the ticket or um, whatever is being transacted there, that would be the, the best case scenario. Um, I don't know that there's a legal precedent for whether you choose to refund or not. Um, that's probably up to individual businesses.
0: Thanks, Kate. I know that even some of the you know table reservation apps can pop up with a notice so maybe there's an opportunity to do that if you're using any of the Eventbrite or typical sort of ticket um, sales uh, apps that you can also put a warning on. I, I know I went to a game out in San Francisco and, you know, you got three warnings before you actually had to pay, reminding you that vaccination, proof of vaccinations were required. Um, let's see. I think there were a few questions beforehand about uh, additional testing downtown. Um, rapid testing kits for businesses, and vaccine clinics. I can tell you we are working really hard to try and get more testing facilities set up in the city. The two state-run stop-the-spread sites that's at St. Peter's and the high school are just being overrun. We're seeing that statewide. Any place that does not have an appointment process are experiencing long lines uh, with lots of frustrated uh, individuals, and both of those sites are not only open to Salem residents, so they service Uh, members throughout Massachusetts, and people are driving from very far distances because of the lack of availability of testing. We did have a clinic at at, uh, the Community Life Center on Sunday. I think we did close to 500 tests. We're hoping to have a regular setup with our vendor uh, at the Community Life Center for Salem residents only and with an appointment window to try and um, address the need for additional testing. We're also, as I mentioned, procuring additional rapid tests. We have uh, orders in right now for large bulk quantities. Uh, we're hoping to be able to distribute those to some of the businesses as part of a PPE effort uh, that would also include K and 95 masks um, and as a means to uh, address some of the immediate needs. As soon as we get those in place, uh, we'll be working on those details. And then vaccination clinics. We are teaming up to offer additional vaccination clinics, targeted vaccine clinics in our schools. I should say vaccine and booster clinics. The goal would be um, for to, for these vax clinics to do it all, right? Pediatric vaccines, adult vaccines, booster shots. If you are a business owner who have a group of uh, employees that want to get vaccinated, you can also request the MGH van. Dave, could you just talk a little bit about that? But we, we are uh, gearing up to offer additional vaccine clinics ahead of January 15th if we can.
2: Yeah, so I, there was a lot in the works. Um, we've requested. I just requested from the state to have more clinics at the schools for the school age children and teachers. Um, Businesses on their own can go to mass.gov slash COVID-19 and there is a way that they can request that the state send out a vaccine provider and they'll do a vaccination clinic right at your business for you, free of charge. Uh, All you have to do is request it and they will contact you and set that up. So um, I think that that would be a great idea. We are looking at um, other areas where we can get additional testing as the mayor has said Um, I know that that there is discussions at the state level about a potential additional site here in Salem Um, that is still to be determined, but uh, we're hoping that that'll get up and running before this order goes into effect uh, a week from Saturday.
0: The question along the lines of, uh, you know, the difference in vaccine rates and the gaps between people of color, communities of color, and the concern that this um, this regulation is going to have an adverse impact on communities of color in terms of their ability to enter businesses. You know, I really want to be clear about this. We've worked hard to ensure that we're a welcoming and inclusive city. And we know that there are, frankly, gaps in COVID impacts that, um, you know, disproportionately impact communities of color. Um, So, COVID has had an impact in terms of public health, economics, housing, just about every social determinant of health on communities of color. This is purely a public health order aimed at not overwhelming our hospitals and keeping people safe and healthy. And it's um, tackling areas that, um, you know, it's not an essential need, like going to a grocery store. Um, There are areas where uh, there's a little bit more of a discretionary usage with respect to a restaurant or entertainment venue. So we're hopeful that um, folks look at it in the light of uh, an opportunity to better serve communities of color who are impacted by in greater proportion by the impacts of COVID. Anything else, Dr. Schiller or Dave, you want to add to that?
2: I I think that covers it. I don't know if Dr. Schiller has anything.
3: No, that's well stated. I mean, this is purely a public health decision. And, you know, obviously there's ramifications in all sorts of sectors, but that's what's driving this. This is a public health decision.
0: Uh, Thank you. Dave, one more time on the web address to request a vaccine clinic at your workplace.
2: Uh, Mass.gov slash COVID-19. backslash COVID-19, I think that you'll get on there and there's a bunch of tabs, but if you look for, um, you know, how to get a vaccination or something like that, there's, there's all kinds of information about how to request it. And if you can't find it, please reach out to me, I'll help you find it. Uh, Cause I know the state website is, can be cumbersome to navigate.
0: Vicki, when you get a chance, can you look at a couple of the questions in the chat space around the overlap between proof of vaccination requirements and ADA law? Just want to make sure we're providing some guidance there.
5: Um, I think that
0: I think that
4: you know, with respect to the patrons coming in the door, it's a it's a reasonable accommodation situation. If you can reasonably accommodate that patron by offering them takeout, for instance, in your restaurant, then you're you know you're you're doing your job with respect to you know um, providing that accommodation. If you think you can accommodate them by seating them in some place, if they present an exemption and you can accommodate them by seating them in some place close to the door, you know, you know, far away from other parties, that's up to you to do that and, and to decide that's a reasonable accommodation that you can make um, as an, you know, as a business. So it's not, you know, it's not going. It's it is going to be a gray area, and a different businesses may call that differently depending on, you know, how how they view the request and what their capability is to respond to that. It's, you know, it, employers and uh, you know, businesses are supposed to engage in a little bit of a dialogue to see if they can, you know, find an arrangement that um, minimizes risk and accommodates the individual who needs an
0: accommodation. Thank you. In terms of the question about accessing PPE and home tests, we're putting, um, we're trying to put that relief package together and we'll be in touch and we'll be spreading that far and wide with our business community. As we get those details ironed out, there's a question here, Dr. Roberts. It might be best for you, or Dr. Schiller, or Dave, sort of distinguishing between COVID patients, uh, folks who had COVID and may have antibodies, and unvaccinated people who are who are who have recovered from COVID. Um, I don't believe our order distinguishes from that um, with respect to this idea that you may have antibodies. Uh, we're requiring everybody to be vaccinated. Is that fair? And is there a distinction, Dr. Roberts, that you want to call out?
1: Yeah. So the the antibody response to COVID infection is proportional to the severity of the infection. So because the antibody response is not predictable to an infection the way it is to a vaccine. So with a vaccine, we know, you know, with some certainty that uh, you're going to get an X response in terms of antibody response. And it's predictable in 99% of people get that response. Now, older immunocompromised patients may not get that response, but as a, from a population, it's kind of a predictable antibody response. You can get COVID, have a positive test, and have a minimal antibody response. Or if you're in the ICU and we're near death, you might have a dramatic antibody response. But it is it's unknown if you just walk in and say, hey, I want to come to this restaurant. I had COVID a year ago. We don't know if you're protected. And there's no way to tell. There's really no good test to tell. So really, the issue is there's a certainty around the protection that vaccines afford. There is no certainty around the protection that a prior infection affords. And from a public health point of view, you can't rely upon That response, which is why the vaccine is the requirement.
3: I would just add to that that I've gotten a lot of questions about that, and there's good data. The data on the, the immune response from vaccines, particularly with boosters, is robust, much more robust than a large portion of asymptomatic infections. So, therefore, you're stopping the spread. People who are vaccinated also spread the virus much less than people who are unvaccinated, even with uh, prior infection. So I know people, it sounds nice about the natural immunity, but the data doesn't bear that out that you're just as protected with natural immunity versus vaccination as far as a population. Now, there may be individual exceptions, but over a population, you're more protected with vaccination, particularly complete vaccination, including the booster.
0: Thanks, it's great to have two doctors advising us on, on issues like that for sure. Dr. Roberts, there was a question just about the 16 to 29 um, age group where we know we have the lowest vaccination rates there and are those the folks who you know, you're know you finding in your hospital? Um, I don't know if you have the exact number of like the ages of people in ICU, but I, I do know there were some, there were younger folks in the hospital with COVID.
1: Yeah, so, you know, here's the, we don't have many 20 year olds in the hospital. But we have a fair number of forty-year-olds uh, in the hospital, and and you know when people ask me that, oh, I say you know we got a forty-year-old intubated in the ICU, and then they say yeah, but he had other things wrong with him, right, right, and you know, and I go no, and because it sort of frightens them that the idea that you can be f- totally healthy in forty and get desperately ill from COVID. So, we're not seeing 20 year olds, but you do know that the hospitalization rate among children from COVID has gone through the roof around the country. So, they are being hospitalized at a much higher rate. Um, But we are seeing the mean age of our COVID sick, COVID unvaccinated patient is 10 to 15 years younger than our breakthrough infections. Um, So, we are seeing a lot of 30s to 50 year olds where In the first wave, when there was no vaccine, there were 80-year-olds because it started in the nursing homes. But the average age of our sick COVID patients in our ICU was in the early 50s. And I'm sorry to say, many of them do not have other reasons for being sick other than being unvaccinated and getting COVID. And people think, well, I'm 40, I'm healthy, I go to the gym, I'm not overweight, I don't have diabetes. I couldn't possibly get sick and die from COVID. And I'm here to tell you that you can. And I see it every day.
0: I think one distinction as well between statewide data and city data, that, that 50% number, it's it's actually 53% for 20 to 29 year olds and, and 50% for 16 to 19 year olds. The statewide numbers for that same age bracket are in the 70% range. So there, there's something going on here that we are as a city um, you know, significantly lower in terms of vax rates for young people uh, between that 60 to 29 year year old age bracket. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of questions here around that ADA compliance issue and asking us to put that in writing. You know, I want to be clear, we're trying to provide guidance. We're not provide, we're not, we're not a lawyer for every business. So we really would suggest you consult your, you know, your own legal team with respect to that issue. Um, we are trying to provide best advice as we can with respect to how to handle that. Um, Another question about a negative COVID test that is not going to take the place of a vaccination card. The order does require proof of vaccine. Um, There's a question here relative to the difference between people in gyms wearing a mask versus uh, places like salons and CVS and grocery stores. Um, I don't know, Dave, if you see that last question, if you could maybe weigh in on that.
2: Um, I I think the difference between going to CVS and to the salon is that these are high respiration activities and um, because of that, we feel that the or the board feels that um, having the proof of vaccine as well as the mask is is a, a two pronged approach to try and uh, slow the spread. Um, you know, I, I get it. Nobody likes to wear a mask. I, I have a child in school who plays high school basketball and, and is wearing a mask at all of their games. So, um, and trust me, they don't like it either. But they're doing it because they're told they have to. Unfortunately.
0: Um, so questions about their religious or medical exemption. I think we already, um, we already, uh, responded to that, but Dave, maybe just brevity again on religious or medical exemptions. It sounds like a few people may have missed that. And then we're going to make a final call for questions. If you've got anything else.
2: Yep. So the, the order does allow for medical and and religious exemptions. It's up to each business to determine, uh, what they're going to allow for that and how they're going to ask for proof, um, you know, a qualified religious exemption or a, um, qualified medical exemption is allowed under the order. Thanks. So if there's
0: no other questions, we're about 52 minutes in. I I think we've answered most of them with respect to um, requiring vaccinations when and how. And certainly uh, folks are still here. If you'd like to um, offer a question or comment directly, uh, you can send it to, is it help at Salem.com, Dave? Is that the best email to get you at after the fact if there are questions. If you'd like to reach out to the planning department with ideas or suggestions as we think about uh, some of the, the economic development activities post pandemic recovery efforts we're working on, uh, you can reach out to Tom Daniel at t.daniel@salem.com. And Kate, maybe you could just spend a brief minute talking a little bit about some of the communication, promotion, and marketing efforts that we're working on, just in concept. I know they're still a broad brush trying to narrow in on them.
5: Um, it is a broad brush and we do want to um, tread somewhat lightly as the uh, COVID surge continues right now. We, um, we're also watching a lot of the business closures that are happening because of either staffing or COVID or maintenance because it's January issues. So that said, uh, we are working with the Destination Sale and Marketing Committee and certainly the EDRR on communications and marketing that we'll deploy through social media and uh, considering digital options and radio and print locally as well just to communicate the vaccine mandate expectations of visitors and customers uh, and doing some pr as well to get the word out uh, as, as consistently and clearly as we can uh, we are also working on signs that we'll make available to all the businesses uh, staples and venin square has offered to do some printing for us so uh, we will be printing 8 and a half by 11 signs people can put in their doorways or by the register, and hopefully that will help. And, um, you know, I'm I'm always open to que- uh, recommendations and requests. If you have an idea you want us to consider, you can shoot me an email at kfox.salem.org. Great. Thank you.
0: I think we've answered most of the questions at least once. There's a few more in there, but I believe we've already gotten to them. Again, um, we are trying to provide resources. There was a question around legal resources. That's something we can take back to to our team to better understand if there's a way that we can assist some of our small businesses who may be struggling with this. I will say in places that have uh, put in place vaccination requirements, it has become quite normalized behavior where um, there's just an expectation of people who are coming that you're going to need to provide an offer of proof. And for the vast majority of folks coming, um, it hasn't created havoc. We did speak with the group in New York. Relative to how they implemented their model. We will not be completely alone in this. Boston will be going on all along on the same timeline. So we are trying to share resources, uh, best ideas and insights. And there are a number of businesses that have implemented vaccination requirements already. I know Notch started Castle and Beverly, Nightshade Noodle and Lynn. So we're trying to gain insights from those folks as well to help, you know, collectively make this an experience that uh, works for everyone. I wanna thank everyone for carving out time. Again, we will certainly be in touch as we uh, work through these issues relative to um, the additional efforts around economic development activity, implementation models, uh, PPE assistance, and the like. And are grateful for the partnership we have with a number of our small businesses. We want this to work for you and keep our community safe as we move through what looks like, you know, the worst of this, uh, the worst of this COVID uh, surge at, at the current time. So thanks for being with us, and uh, appreciate everything everyone's
5: doing.